This podcast contains explicit language, really explicit language. Listeners of this show should be advised that we will deal with a cult that has certain ideas that are... Um... They're fucked, Paulina. Yeah, they're really fucked. We'll be dealing with all the ist, aughts, and ites. Racists, bigots, anti-Semites, misogyny, certainly. And ooh, eugenics. Kicking it old school with eugenics. Certainly a very old way to be racist. But you've got to remember, MGTOW and everything we're talking about is a cult. Uh, No matter what they say, nothing they say is real. And we love you. We absolutely love you. Thank you for coming along on the ride. And we're sorry already. (laughs) (laughs) A clip coming up later in the show. Reading from Google Books in the now public domain uh, book by... Frederick Matthias Alexander called Man's Supreme Inheritance. It is therefore obvious that the people concerned had reached, one, a stage in their evolution which corresponds with that of our time, i.e., with that of our time, i.e., demanding re education, two, a stage of observation of cause and effect similar to that of today. What? How is today similar? That's me ad-libbing. Which led them to need to see the need of re-education. Such re-education is essential to the restoration of the natural conditions present at the birth in every normal babe, though gradually deteriorating <laughs> under condition. Ooh, under condition. You know, I plan to read this under conditions of modern life. I plan to read this to react on air. It's <laughs> what is it? The fuck am I reading? What you are about to hear is the hashtag cult podcast. What is a hashtag cult? Hashtag cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Hello, and welcome to Who the Hell Am I? Wait, that's not the name of the show. This is Hashtag Cold Podcast, and Who the Hell Am I? I'm Mike Fallick, host, founder, and creator of the term Hashtag Cult, um, and a journalist and documentarian. Today is going to be a really interesting episode. Um, if you don't know what this podcast is about, start from the beginning. It's a sequential podcast. We're doing a documentary investigation into a cult called MGTOW. But I wanted to do a different episode today. Something less about the cult of MGTOW and the investigation into it, and more about what it's like to be someone needing something on the internet. Let's start with me. The investigation we're doing now was brought on by two things. One, a friend of mine was wrapped up in the cult MGTOW, was taken from me, and it was evident from things he said and from my own observation that he had been taking out his frustration and the effects of isolation out on me in my life and affecting me. Um, I tried to have an intervention. It didn't go well. I found out about MGTOW, a cult that believes women are genetically predisposed to take advantage of men. Um, This is all their odd beliefs. But inspiration is just as important to a story like this as is motivation. And what gave me the idea and what motivates me are one and the same, and that's creating an environment 
of love. It's love. I miss my friend. I wish he wasn't trapped in this cult. And then on the other hand, you have my partner, who I've talked about on here before, Reens. Now, Reens was a victim of abuse. A serious abuse. And she's talked about it in our videos. And I'm coming to you today as somebody who takes care of that person, who has empathy for that person, and who has empathy for anyone that this happens to. But I have to be honest, my own motivations in taking care of this person who was coerced on the internet and got away from it powerfully, resisted this person, you know, really harming her on the internet. That's my motivation. So my life right now consists of two things, taking care of her and making my work journalism, art, and that's all very stressing. <laughs> Those of you who love, and I hope you all do, know that love is taxing. Put that against all the Shakespeare quotes. <laughs> it can be hard, and it's why I empathize for these groups that people go into situations where they're hurt by love, and they're susceptible to being coerced, like MGTOW. And I feel, you know, bad for them. And then they do actions that are horrible. They create a cult that's horrible. And they need to be taken out of it so they can learn to be what they are in the first place. Someone who's having a hard time with love, which we all do. So, the person I love, though, is going through this hard times. And I truly love Reens. I really do. And I don't care for a second about all the, the things that we go through and having to help her. But... I do need something, and that's the ability to relax. Um, how do I relax? <laughs> well, that's how we start our story today. Generally, the way I relax is through an internet trend called ASMR. The irony of this whole story is that ASMR, which I've done stories about as well, and I run a film festival based on ASMR, is a pseudoscientific term. It stands for Audio Sensory Meridian Response. And if you've never heard of ASMR, it's those weird videos people talk about on the internet where someone's whispering. Now, there's two types of ASMR. There's creators who, you know, will pretend to check you into a fictional hotel or just whisper things, um, make inane sounds with objects or food or whatever it may be. There's a whole list of worlds in this. And it's calm, relaxing audio. And I have some art-based theories on ASMR that I've been talking about with in my other work about how relaxation is not considered as important as a response like laughter or crying. We don't value relaxed in art as much. I'm trying to advocate for it. But enough about me, more about me. Back on subject. I use ASMR to relax, and there's two types. The first type that I just uh, created, where I told you about, said, I said it, is what I did, if you check the record, um, where creators make it. And the other is called unintentional ASMR. Creepily enough, this is my favorite. <laughs> Here's what unintentional ASMR is. Someone releases a video, usually for educational purposes, of something like, here's how you use a stethoscope properly. The most famous ASMR unintentional uh, video is um, an examination of a hockey player who got a concussion in the 90s um, who wanted to film his concussion tests to show people what concussions were like. This has been not only the driving video in his cranial nerve exam for ASMR, but also creates unintentional ASMR at the same time. It's an important piece of internet movie history. Now, you may be asking, what the fuck are you talking about, Michael? I'm getting somewhere. Listen, <laughs> listen to me. I watch a lot of these, and most of the time, 
sometimes they're really boring, which is perfect. You know, I watched one where someone is explaining the difference between the legal system here and in Scotland. It's really interesting. Um, every once in a while, they're laughable and it can take you out of it. One of them, and sp- talk of Cult of Two, which we've talked about on the show before, one of them is a video of two people who seemingly have extrasensory powers that they have to connect to each other in order to speak to angels. And one of them is like an antenna and holds their arm up in the air. <laughs> they have very calming voices, but whatever they're doing is anything but calming to anyone. And I've shown it to people and they're, they're quite distressed by it. So I came across one about the Alexander Technique. Now, at first, when I told people about the Alexander Technique, I said, this video is great. I don't know what it is. It's a lady showing someone how to sit. And it's, it, it almost looks like it's designed to be inane. It's just inaneness. And the first video I had seen was somebody standing and sitting and someone go, now stand. And, oh, you know, stand again. Okay, stand. Now sit. Like literally just over and more relaxing. Imagine the opposite of me. It's like that, relaxing. I then started to learn about the Alexander Technique. And it became a really interesting story. And what I want to do here is, again, I'll reiterate it, talk about what it's like to be a consumer on the internet, someone who needs something, someone who's looking for something, a searcher, a seeker. I needed to relax. The more I learned about the Alexander Technique, the more I thought, this might be a relaxation thing. Now, let me say something about liable and journalistic integrity before we move on. This is all my opinion. Though this is a documentary series, what we're documenting here is everyone's ability and mine to see something on the internet and see if it's fake, see if it's real, see if it's helpful, see if it's a scam. The long, the long and short of it is my initial reaction that this thing is inane is probably where it lies in. There's a lot of mostly inane, unharmful attitudes. Mostly. But I will, as someone who is a critical thinker, and I'm using that in the Chris Shelton way, if you don't know who he is, really analyzing the world around me, I found some problematic stuff. And that's not for me to blow, some, to blow up somebody's career or for me to take away from these people or for me to try and take away from whatever they're saying. I'll take away, when I want to take away, you'll know it. What I'm trying to say before we get started here is I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something to relax. And this is how it feels to find something like the Alexander Technique on the internet. On the other hand, I think you as an audience needs to know I don't view everything as a cult. You as an audience needs to know, you as an audience? Yeah, I did that right. Need to know it's about thinking and researching. And you'll see the lengths that I go to to figure this out and see that answers are not always forthcoming. So let's get started on the Alexander Technique and my reaction as to whether or not I think it is a fit for me and what I was able to find on the internet, which is what this is documenting. Now, that being said, a lot of this shit is cuckoo bananas. Don't sue me for liable. That's my reaction. (laughs) just is. It's really crazy stuff. Okay. Let's start with who this guy, Alexander, the titular Alexander. Let me fight Frederick Matthias Alexander, Alexander, as he would say, because he's Australian. Now, I'm going to stop doing this accent in a few minutes, but not until I get bored of it. Um, he was an actor. He started having And I'm mostly going to be doing this from videos of people trying to promote it. Um, Specifically, a guy named Anthony Kingsley is a a character I'm going to be referring to a lot. Some Wikipedia, because I'm trying to do this the way that you would do it if you were just a consumer. Um, And a lot of other research across a lot of other things. So he was an actor. He began to have 
problems while acting, pain while acting. Um, and he realized he was tensing up and, you know, he needed to create a technique for, there's other details. I don't want to get into it. He was tense. He was having pain while acting. He was having an inability to do the things he could do with his throat and his voice and his body that he was able to do before. Couldn't work. Couldn't work. And he developed this technique to help himself out of it. It starts as a technique of having actors be aware of their bodies so that they could better act, get over stage fright, whatever it is. It starts as an acting school. Now, this to me dings a bell. If you don't know, film, all those things are a part of who I am. I studied film on an academic level. I've made films. I've made fictional films. I'm an animator. I run a film festival. Fictional acting film is a big part of what I do, including comedy. Anyone that studies film and hears me say, in the late 1800s, early 1900s to mid-century, um, there's a guy who's creating a technique to... Um, have actors be aware of their bodies so that they can get over stage fright or whatever acting problems they're having isn't going to think of Alexander. They're going to think of Stanislavski. And specifically, they're going to think of Stanislavski and his work with Meyerhold. Now, what is this? It's a very interesting method of acting. Part of it is that you must experience physical things rather than mental things. Know what it's like to be running from something you're in fear of. Obtain that physical emotion in you. Know what it's like to be feel like you're in a burning building rather than the emotion of I'm scared of the burning building. It's the idea that you can use physical reactions in yourself to create realistic responses. And it's a very interesting system. But I want to say that because I think a lot of people that hear about this nowadays might not, or who are studying it, might not know about Stanislavski because they're mostly interested in the Alexander Technique as, I don't want to say the word medicine, but as some sort of healing thingy. And it's going to veer towards homeopathic medicine, which is not even holistic medicine, rather than acting history. So this was not necessarily a very unique thing, what Alexander was teaching, learning about your body so that you could do acting. Stanislavski is the name that makes it. But Alexander needed to work. And so the system becomes more than acting. He reaches out to lots of people who say that he, that he says that he can help. That's where pretty much there's a big shift. And we'll get back to the history of this towards the, the end. But that's the big shift towards this being some sort of healing thingy that, that this guy invented, that this, you know, actor that you wouldn't have heard of invented. And it became really popular. Let's flash forward to where I found out about it. And let's flash forward to Anthony Kingsley. Let's flash forward, in fact, to some of my issues with this whole thing. Anthony Kingsley is probably the bet most eloquent person in this uh, whole organization, as far as I've seen. Um, they don't do anything wrong, technically. Listening to Anthony Kingsley shows you how putting them in a box is when you're going to start to feel problems about them. Here's the technique in a nutshell. You stand up, you sit down, you lie at a table, and someone talks to you about the way you're standing and the way you're sitting and all those different things. The problem is that we live in a modern society. And just as Alexander needed to expand to get more customers, nowadays, you kind of have to prove that what you're doing isn't hurting someone or tell them that you're not approved by whatever government agency relegates medical control in your country in order to lay hands on somebody and in order to try and make claims. 
this is where we get into the elements of Alexander Technique that as a consumer, I have an entirely hard time understanding. There are some studies of stuff. Some of them say that it does nothing. Some of them say that it does something, a little bit of something. Um, there are two main studies that I see that are, let's go in favor first of what the Alexander Technique, which is literally standing and sitting and stuff, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Medical studies that, that are actually helpful. One was by the BMJ, which I believe is the British Medical Journal, um, saying that people with um, certain disabilities or role in disability scores had some improvement over time. And the other is that um, people with Parkinson's, it can be recommended in England or Australia. Let me find that for you in England or Australia. Uh, England, the UK. Okay, so the UK. It can be recommended for people with Parkinson's having motor control. As far as I can tell, that's really the best evidence. The only other evidence is a video from the Mayo Clinic who compare it to yoga, who compare it to a relaxation thing, which again is what I want. That's all I want out of it. But there's the part of me that's critical, that hears these things of trying to get studies done, trying to learn about these things that puts me off and sticking to the idea that after result after result comes back, that it's somewhat helpful, it's kind of helpful here, that that doesn't dissuade them. But then there's other stuff that comes back that says it could be helpful and that encourages them. And I don't want to discourage science. That's great. I want them to keep doing studies. I love that. I think the problem is that they try and tote this line. And let me tell you how a typical Alexander explanation of this goes. Somebody says, for example, in a question that I heard asked to Anthony Kingsley, well, how is it that you can say you know how the body works if you aren't chiropractors or um, whatever the one is, osteo something with bones? How can you say that? And they'll say, we don't say that. We send someone away if they have a problem. We don't deal with them. We ask if there's been a chronic injury and we send them away. Okay. So you, it's a really fair answer. We are not saying we're that much of experts. Some of us maybe We get some lessons in this. But if there's a real problem, we don't take you. It's like, okay. But yet you claim to know all these things about the body. And there's this hovering that isn't really their fault but really about this in-between stage of how medicine works and how much this thing is being studied, where they'll say, well, we don't claim anything, but at the same time, we think it could. And so we're only making the claims that we make. Here's the positive evidence, and here's the medium evidence, and here's the evidence against us. But the questions sort of set them up to fail, don't they? The questions become things that are like, how does it help with these people? You know, how does it help with back pain? And so someone says, there was a study done. It showed some improvement. But if you have back pain, you should go see a doctor, which isn't really the original claims of Alexander. And let's get back there to Alexander. I'm mostly going off of a Wikipedia article here, but it's mostly to draw parallels. And I don't want to quote because it's a book. Um, and you should read it if you want to know about this, about the life of, there's really only one biography of Alexander. Um, it references a trial, this Wikipedia. And I've read some stuff from the book about the trial and go read about it in the book because it's not my book. But let me say this. This doesn't hold water nowadays. Alexander wins a libel suit where people criticize him. Good luck suing me now, but um, he wins a liable suit. That's noted. That's public record. Um, for people saying all these bad things about his technique, and, you know, he does claim that it 
cures things. He does. He has anecdotal evidence of people saying they got better and not a ton of science. Alexander's father was a naturopath, which if you don't know what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> Look it up. So that's when the comparisons come along, not just to Stanislavski and Meyerhold, but to on another website called alexandertechnique.com, a parallel is drawn between Alexander and Pilates. You say, Pilates, the exercise? No. Pilates, the person. Joseph Pilates, who invented, you guessed it, controlology. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. This is how I get distracted on the internet. This is how something that is going to help me, what most people do is going to distract me and make me more suspicious. Um, if you're a talkative person, for example, there's a phrase that comes along when you hurt someone's feelings and you're trying to apologize and someone will say to you at some point in your life, learn to keep your mouth shut or learn to quit while you're ahead. Because anyone who's talkative, like the internet is, knows that the more you say sometimes, the more you give away. In an anecdotal way, the other way I can explain it is, there's a reason people don't testify at, at murder trials against them. And the more you say, the more, uh, the more people are going to think you're full of crap. The parallels to Pilates became fascinating to me because they really show what my issues are with the whole thing. Pilates was a guy who also around this time invented some sort of technique to help himself. Now, this was like some strength training thing whatever. Oh, I have naturopathy medicine up here to explain. Apparently, I was going to be nicer to you and not uh, tell you what it was. So, his father was a naturopathy. Wikipedia says, again, this is about my experience as someone on the internet, um, a form of alternative medicine that employs an array of pseudoscientific practices, which, boy, that's great. You know, on Wikipedia, got pseudoscience in there and no one's taking it down, branded as natural, non-invasive, and self-healing. Yeah, self-healing is one that like makes my blood boil. If it's self-healing, like I don't need any help. So um, <laughs> back to whatever I was talking about. Pilates. This guy invents this strength training thing called Pilates. And it takes off as a, a big deal. Um, but there's some issues about Joseph Pilates that mirrors the problems that I have with Alexander. And to say that they're similar is not helpful to anyone's cause. Pilates, they'll sometimes tout in lots of things that use, I don't want to call it pseudoscience. I'm going to call it cajoling, convincing, anecdotal stuff. A lot of people will say, I was sick and dying. You know, that's a typical thing for, uh, not that this is, not that I know that either of these are a cult, but Lots of workout places have become cults, yoga cults, as we've talked about in the past. But lots of people who are trying to pull one over on you will tell you, I was sick and dying and I was miraculously cured. Now, what's interesting about Pilates, because the Pilates Foundation has the history of Joseph Pilates, say he had rickets. So Michael goes, okay, he was born with rickets. What's rickets? It's 2020. I don't think rickets are even real anymore. I don't know what rickets are. Rickets is a lack of vitamin D, okay? So, that wasn't cured by Pilates. That was cured by milk, okay? Then we go to what else he had as a child. He had rheumatic fever, okay? Also don't know what rheumatic fever is. Rheumatic fever, CDC says, may develop after scarlet fever or strep because it was mistreated. Okay, so that was cured by antibiotics, Okay, so, so far, these are all accounted for. And then asthma. He might have had asthma. Which was interesting, because there have been some studies done about Pilates and asthma, but 
not a lot of results. And so these two things, all of a sudden, they're drawing parallels and my mind's going, these are the same things. They don't have a lot of scientific evidence, but they kind of border the line between science and not science. And they have, they have some evidence, but not really. But the early stuff, the early progress was clearly built on the back of anecdotal claims, borderline pseudoscience, and, you know, whatever, just saying it. Shown results. Evidence if you were there, but not real evidence. And so the parallels are now like, what is this thing? And it becomes so confusing. Now, this is me as a researcher. I'd also like to tell you briefly, because I did spend an hour on it, briefly about why there's no such thing as Pilates. So Joseph Pilates, Pilates, Pilates that's my friend Joseph Pilates, he owns the hamburger masher. Um, Joseph Pilates doesn't own the hamburger masher. Do not sue me for libel. Um, excuse me, I said it, slander. I'll write it down later and then you cannot sue me for liable as well. So, Joseph Pilates invents a thing called controlology, equally as crazy sounding as any of this other stuff. He makes this thing, it get, catches on, he teaches classes, people are doing fitness, yada, yada, yada. However, Pilates as a craze starts to catch on from the people he had taught. And at some point, a man named Sean Gallagher, uh, who owns, hold on, I have the actual name of it, because he's often attributed as the person who sues, but his company actually sues. He was just the defendant. Um, Sean Gallagher owns Pilates Institute Limited? No. He owns Pilates Inc., okay? And he started suing people, saying that, there is a copyright on Pilates and you can't, you need to stop calling your thing Pilates. Now, fascinating about this is how much stuff about this trial has gotten wrong on the internet. Um, this is where the investigative journalist part is really coming in and telling you definitive things. Uh, I heard someone say a Manhattan district court. There's no such thing. It took place in, I believe, the, Manhattan, the New York Southern District. Uh, if I'm, let me look on my thing here. I believe the New York, either way, there's no such thing as a Manhattan. It might be in Manhattan, the court that they went to. They say that the suit was dismissed. No, the suit was settled. Um, to my eyes on our Pacer account, uh, which is it gives you the ability to search stuff, the records are sealed. Now, that could be a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes if they're sealed because they're classified or something like that, which is not really a word, a legal word, I'm just saying it as a way that you can get it, like, you're not allowed to see them for safety or, or ethical reasons or whatever. They'll say that. But in this case, they're just unclickable, which could be a lot of things. It could be a website thing. It could be I have to request it physically. Um, it could be they were never scanned. It could be that somebody said, which is pretty typical from what I've seen, this is a settlement. And part of the settlement says you can't talk about it. That seems to be what happened because... There's not a lot of interviews from Sean Gallagher or anybody else who really talking about how they won. There's pretty bad articles about it. And even the articles covering the original lawsuit being filed seems to that the noise calms down after um, the case is settled and then closed, not thrown out or dismissed. Um, that's what Pacer says. If someone has other information, let me know. <sighs> What was the point of all of this? Oh, yeah, to relax. Don't I sound relaxed? And this is the effect I'm talking about. When you try and say something has claims that it doesn't really do, when you try and say it has this stuff, all it ends up making me do is looking up who owns Pilates. Because it's crazy controlology. So getting back to our original guys here. The, in the end, one of the things that was said about Pilates, and this quote was published, I don't know from where they got it, the decision was available somewhere at some point, it's not anymore, um, that it's a term like yoga. Which made me think, because I have sat in a lot of martial arts classes where someone tries to say, this is a thing of science. And if you're there, and you've been around this stuff enough, you know to dismiss it. 
and probably the people listening to this that do Pilates, and probably some of the people listening to this that do Pilates, I should say, and some of the people doing this that do Tai Chi, and some of the people doing this that listening to this that do yoga, and some of the people that listen to this are doing Alexander Technique, are saying, yeah, we all understand. We've been here before. Here's this weird homeopathic science talk. Just dismiss it. It's whatever we can prove. We're just all there to relax. And I've been that person advocating that when I was in a yoga cult, it got overbearing. And when I was in Tai Chi, um, it was, I just ignored it because there was a real lesson to be taught in a cultural thing I wanted to learn. But it's there. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is, and why I'm doing an episode about it on this show, you and I, when we're in those positions to say, I can dismiss it, we're not the me right now. And the me right now needs relaxation. And I need something. And that's what predators prey upon your need, whether they create that need, they make you think you need something, or whether you're very vulnerable to that need. And again, I'm saying this about cults and coercive relationships. So stop your tweet, Alexander people. When you're in a cult or you're in a a coercive relationship, you start to feel a need for the other person. Now, or the group, or whatever it is, the leader, the person in the coercive relationship right above you, the person hot-seating you. You have a need to keep them in your life. You have a need to create safety by obliging them. Did I say obliging weird? I'll have to say it throughout the day to see if I uh, say it differently. Obliging? Obliging. Obliging. Oblog them. You feel a need to write a web blog about them or about this thing. Now, the reason on this show that I say about cults is it's either, it's only evolution, not conception. Because for the most part, these cult leaders, these coercive relationships and people like this from what I've seen, they take a hundred swings at the ball and the people that get affected are the ones that they hit. The, the, The time that they actually hit the pitch. Did this baseball analogy help? Let me say it another way. Because <laughs> I, Michael, who's sitting in a pile of video games while moving into his new studio, knows a lot about baseball. Let me use a different analogy. The way evolution works is a creature doesn't wake up and say, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat a bunch of leaves, spit it around my body once I get the energy, sit in there and mold into a butterfly, and then that'll give me the ability to fly around and not be eaten by birds who pick off stuff off the ground, and then I can go to flowers and eat that stuff and mate with other butterflies. The creature says, hey, I'm going to eat a bunch of stuff on the ground, and it dies. And thousands and millions of those creatures are born until someone says, hey, I'm going to eat a bunch of stuff on the ground, and then nothing. It doesn't say anything. A creature is born one day with a mutation that, that gives it the ability to do something closer to forming a cocoon or closer to growing wings, or however, it's evolution. Evolution happens by trial and error. And although it seems like this coercive control is just attained at that one time, you don't know how many times that abuser has tried to get it. And there's plenty of people, there's many reasons people get into cults. But when it comes to comparing it to coercive relationships towards my motivation, the parallels between You need something, friendship, companionship, something. You've been scared of the world. You are someone that can be taken advantage of. Well, when the abuser, when the coercive person takes a swing at that ball, it's a lob. It's t-ball. I went back to baseball. Look it up. Look up what t-ball is. Hot take. I think there should be professional t-ball. Why do the the pitching part is the most boring part? There's no reason it wouldn't be cool. Anyway. Do our English viewers know what T-ball is? Do they also have synesthesia because they're watching a podcast? I need something right now. And if I wasn't me, I don't know that I would look into my 30, literally 30 tabs open right now. Do you know that the Mayo Clinic is just like a school? I didn't know that. Onto all of these things. 
Now, as far as I can tell, here's the deal with the Alexander technique. If I found an Alexander teacher and told them, hey, don't tell me any of the science stuff, I just want to relax and do all this stuff, they seem pretty chill. They honestly, that's the main reason I found them, is they seem like pretty relaxed people. But there's words that set a person like me who wants you to invest in science that set me on edge. Almost as much as the fact that they want to do studies make me happy. That always makes me happy when people want to do these studies. Now, there's lots of martial arts, ancient martial arts, that just go, whatever with the study. Who cares? Who cares? I'm still going to say whatever I want. It doesn't matter because all they're selling in the end is the same product. The same product in the end is yoga, tai chi, taekwondo, whatever it is, karate. So the studies about it, they just go, whatever. Okay, I'm still going to say that there's an ancient belief about it. I'm not saying it'll cure you. Or maybe I might, and maybe I get caught, and maybe I don't, because they believe it. And that's where that naturopathy, homeopathy, holistic, to some people that sounds great, but to a lot of people, we're afraid to admit, that, that puts me on edge. That sounds like something that's got no evidence behind it. Where am I ramping to with this? The only thing I'm leveling at with the Alexander Technique, and I do believe that they should examine this, and I actually think that the Alexander Technique, if they hear about this, will, will examine their own responses in this. I believe they're doing cold reading some of the time, and they don't know it. But cold reading can also be accidental, and I'll explain that right now. What is cold reading? We've talked about it on the show before. Cold reading is... The ability to say something generic or predictable based on the information you have and often uses kind of subterfuge techniques to not make you realize you've given away the information. The most basic manipulative cold reading technique is someone has a Mother's Day card on their table and they go, oh, you know, I have such a good relationship with my mother or your kids are so cute. Now... That works most of the time. You're cold reading the person. You find out a little bit of information. You know generally mothers like their kids. So you work with that. Is that horrible? It's ingenuine. It's generic. It's small talk, but it's not horrible. But cold reading goes all the way up to manipulators. The easiest cold reading technique are horoscopes. Um, go and read a different horoscope and see if you relate to it. Effective horoscope writers, go today, whatever you are, you're an Aquarius, go read a Leo. Go read a, go read a Calvin and Hobbes rule and give a shit about horoscopes. <laughs> but uh, go read a different one and you'll see it might work for you as well because the, the things that they're saying are generic. Now, that's my opinion about horoscopes, by the way. I don't want to get sued by big horoscope. I might have to pay whatever they make in ads on the side of things. Um, <laughs> you know, every time horoscopes come up on the show, I try and be respectful. I just don't care um, because it's, it's, it's nothingness for the most part. Um, so <laughs> maybe this will lose me people, but I don't, I don't really care. So that's a cold reading technique. I want to talk about and cold reading goes, you know, there's scam artists that use it. And it's, it's a really interesting field unto itself, cold reading. There's mentalists that can do it very precisely. There's abusers that can do it to, to talk to you. In our in MGTOW investigation, cold reading can be used in a form of superpower for pickup artists and things like that, that they think, oh, you can really read people um, when it might be that somebody is just in such a tight spot or scared of the world or is believing that you're just being genuine about something that you're not really cold reading at all. Um, and so that's a part of this too, is that a lot of time cold reading happens because you're trying to be polite. So I want to speak up at this. One of the main ones that they do in terms of cold reading, so you get the idea of it, is say something that sounds like it's non-medical that resonates with you. Um, I have two particular examples with Alex, with what's his name? Not Alexander, Anthony Kingsley. One that Anthony Kingsley does and one that all of them did. They all do this next one, the second one. The first one is Anthony Kingsley says somewhere, you know, I can tell you exactly where he says, he says it in an interview 
that I don't know where it's it's posted from the Academy of Physical Medicine, which is is has a uh, Vimeo page. And he says, "You're walking down the street." He gives an example to give an analogy of how this technique works and about engagement. And he uses the word depressed in that interview. Now, to all of you crazy people who clearly listen, we all know what depression is. It's on the side of the bottle, isn't it? Um, (laughs) We see it as a medical thing. How is he referring to it? Is he referring to it as medical? Is he referring to it as sad? We don't know. But he uses the word with reckless abandon. He says, when you're walking down the street and you're depressed, or or there's a child who's watching TV all day, you know, he needs to be, the child needs to be engaged more. I said he, because obviously I am the child that watches TV all day. I'm fine. Okay. You relax. So (laughs) that he needs, the child needs to be engaged more. And that it's like when you're walking down the street and you're depressed and something, you meet someone, you know, and you get excited. Well, you don't always get excited if you're medically depressed. So how is he using the word? That's that toting of the line of cold reading. Because in the end, he's not even really talking about depression. In the end, he said in the beginning, I'm talking about psychosomatic problems, and that's not for the Alexander technique. Are you getting now the way that they dance this line because people force them to? You force them to say, how does, how does it help with this thing? He answers the question about things he doesn't do. And it kind of puts more, more nonsense into the equation instead of the experience. This is the one they all do. Almost all of them say children enjoy walking and children enjoy their bodies and play with their bodies. To which I would say unequivocally, shut the fuck up. Because that's such little evidence for anything. And I will explain my ire in a second. First of all, what a privileged point of view. Children have it better as kids. Which children? Do you have a study showing me that children have better posture? Are they differently able children? Are these bedridden children? Which children? When does it start? Does it start that children enjoy their bodies when they're infants? When does it stop? Does it stop when they hit puberty? Okay, well, what about puberty makes them change? It's a statement that... As a cold reading line, it affects you. Why does it affect you? Because as we develop as people, we take on more. That super ego, that ego, that personality of yours develops and you manage more issues. And so using the idea that that there existed a time, not a specific age range, there existed a time where things were easier for you. Ah, don't you remember how it was easier when you were a kid? Cold reading says the majority of you will say, of course, I was a child, things were easier. Not the case, especially, and this is where I get upset about stuff, for people who need it. What about abused children? Do they move the same way? What about children who are escaping their home? What about malnourished children? Do they like their bodies more? What about children, much like Joseph Pilates, who were struck by disease when they were ill, and then as they grew, their immune systems got stronger, they got a surgery, medicine developed, and they felt better as an adult. What about kids who weren't comfortable as children? What about kids where you say that and the person goes, I've always had back, my back has hurt forever, it hurts now more, but I've always had back issues. What about people without medicine? Someone doesn't diagnose something. That's how cold reading works. That as soon as you have critical thoughts about it, it falls apart. And that's my big lobby against the Alexander technique is stop saying that. That's my only beef with you guys. Stop saying this thing about children because it's insensitive to people who had a hard time as a child and it's based in nothing medical. To me, there's this dancing of a line with what they're doing in cold reading. It's not medical, so we don't say it's a medical thing. And until someone calls us out for it being medical, we'll claim it. And this children thing is is the biggest one of it. I love that they're trying to get studies. I love that. That's, That's my favorite thing in the world, that they're trying to get studies done about their stuff and they're incorporating it. I don't love 
saying stuff that's, I don't involve anyone asking them these medical questions. Let me say it that way. It's a relaxation thing. It's to make you better on stage. And that is helpful. There is the keep your mouth shut effect here. Look, I knew I was a good talker as a kid. I was funny. I still am funny. I'm still good looking. And there are many friends and girlfriends who would tell me, know when to, know when to stop talking and sit there and be pretty. And that's what I think the Alexander Technique should realize from this. You are all really relaxing people. There may be some science to what you're doing, but I think the more that it claims, and this is my opinion as someone who is interested in, in using it, still, still I'm interested because I'm able to dismiss any claims that I find annoying, it's relaxing. That has value. Now it's a modern world and being on insurance would help. They've been on insurance, taken off insurance. Certain countries have claimed it does nothing. Certain countries have claimed you can do it. You can bill it in this area. It's been a tough road for them. But in the end, look at other things that have succeeded financially in incredible ways. Search ASMR. Did ASMR stick by the scientific thing? Well, there's a few people. I'm actually talking to some of them. That person has dedicated themselves to finding scientific evidence for it. But for the most part, all that these people are pitching you on is come onto my YouTube page and relax. Alexander could say the same thing. Come into our studio. Well, not now with COVID, but come into our studio, stand up, sit down. Isn't that nice? You did it so good. Instead of having to point out what they don't know about the spine, instead of having to point out how this technique, if it's a technique, was developed by an actor. And there's something to be said about Alexander himself. You know, one of his students was someone I really relate to as we close the show. He taught um, Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World. And if you haven't read Brave New World, and if you don't know about Aldous Huxley, I only learned as I grew that I had some, obviously I'm not like a Peabody or Pulitzer Prize winner or whatever, he's won all of his awards, but, oh, I didn't know I had won my Peabody and so had <laughs> old Huxley. I relate to the guy in a lot of ways. He went to NYU, I went to NYU. He didn't like being outside, I don't like being outside. His book to me viewed the world as both something that technology went simultaneously over and underappreciated, um, which, which, which resonates with me. And he was one of, uh, he, was, he was a student directly of Frederick Matthias Alexander. Um, and was Audless Huxley a scientist? No. Did he write science fiction? Yeah. Did his science fiction change how certain people view the world. Definitely. And there's value in that. But I think that you do start to drift towards the Carrie Poppy term of pink flags, things that aren't red flags, but they aren't totally safe. When you start to find a technique and you really want to stick behind it, people really don't teach controlology anymore. They teach Pilates. That was what this guy, Sean Gallagher, and his company, Pilates Inc., found out, was we don't have the copyright on it, so we need to update it. We need to do... A I mean, I only read one page of this controlology book, and the word lightheadedness appeared in it. So it's not as if this was like, a, like as a good thing, as something you want. Um, it's not as if people really love this technique of, of uh, Joseph Pilates. Joseph, he might have been German. But um, he was German, but I don't know that you say it, Joseph. Look, that's the point. I'm not claiming to be the most educated guy in the room. I'm claiming to be the guy who wants to fucking relax a little bit <laughs> to get back on point. You don't have to suddenly say this guy was a genius because he had a good thought. Alexander had a great thought. And there are people that attribute him to maybe 
thinking of something, thinking an idea that inspired people, that idea being all the way from ergonomics to don't say posture in front of these Alexander Technique people. By the way, they will piss blood out of their mouths if you ever hear them say, it's not about posture. How dare you? God forbid it's about posture. <laughs> well, and then the other side of it is they can't say it's about posture, which is like toting that line. He introduced ideas that were really, I think, not a lot of people were saying in the same way that Stanislavski and Meyerhold said about, you know, body awareness and things like that. These were people who were saying, hey, body awareness, um, maybe even cognitive behavioral therapy, things that influence that. He influenced um, uh, the gestalt, which I've talked about on here before, which is a, a therapeutic uh, idea, um, like psychology therapy. Um he was a thought, he had a thought, he had a good thought. Does that make his thought that influences science real? N no, it doesn't. Science makes it real. And as you start to get more science, great, add more science. I think sticking to claims, sticking to, in this case, a leader, in this case, a book, in this case, a technique passed on through oral tradition, which is, I'd love if an Alexander Technique person wrote me an email to follow up on this, because I'll tell you something else that I saw is I don't see any continuity between what one person is looking for and another. And I don't know if that's because you're trying to keep some trade secret, but that's not really how medicine works. So again, is it a patented technique? No. Is it medicine? No. So do we have to tell everybody? It's kind of in between. It's treated more like a martial arts in which I'm fine with it. Does Tai Chi have health benefits? Maybe. Go ahead and do it if your doctor says it's okay. It's not bad for you. I think that if we change the way we think about martial arts, which has been something I push over the years, walking upstairs can be a martial art itself, the perfection of just motions in the body, this becomes more palatable to people. It's an odd British martial art or wherever, Australian martial art about sitting and standing. Makes a lot more sense. And I'm not saying I won't do it, but I think realizing what you are instead of being a salesman will earn you more respect, especially in 2021, where irony, not irony. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll let you guys know this. I know how everyone conventionally uses irony. I made a goal for myself, continue to do it if you want, but I only want to use irony the real way this year. So irony. No, wait, I said I wouldn't do that. Whatever it is, self-awareness is such a part of our culture nowadays. Making fun of yourself, being aware that you might be full of shit some of the times is a big part of our culture and actually gains you more trust. So am I going to try the Alexander Technique? No, I'm far less relaxed. I don't know. I don't know what to do about being relaxed. Who knows how to be relaxed? Not me. And I refuse to. It would take away from all my not relaxing. I hope that what this does for you is show what critical thinking is, which I guess it's not a ringing endorsement for it. But realize that there are things that go unsaid and people aren't trying to sell you on something. But if you reinforce it, yeah, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, fine. And that builds their resilience in this. Questioning stuff is more important. And not everything's on the internet. Now, I don't know. To be honest, relaxation techniques are a great way to hypnotize people. So I don't know if within this group, there could be people that have had really bad experiences. Come to me too. Because being relaxed, having someone adjusting your body, those are all situations ripe for abuse. Which I'm not saying, we have, we have no evidence of that whatsoever. But I'm saying all things have the potential to be a cult. All things have the potential to be pseudoscientific. All things have the potential to try and coerce you into a new life view and thinking that that's very important. That doesn't seem like the Alexander Technique to me. Again, they seem very chill. Um, that's my opinion. But guess what? I'm also being the voice of someone saying, if you've had a bad experience with this, hit me up. I messaged them on Twitter. Someone messaged a friend of mine who's very into astrology stuff who I did her, her the audio book for her children's series. Uh, she had heard of it. Which kind of proved that, oh yeah, that's the, the con high constants. Constance is all into this stuff. She knows I don't like astrology, but I like her writing and she loves astrology. So I like Constance. I like Paulina who likes all this stuff too. 
but it's okay to ask questions when someone claims something. When someone claims something, it's okay to say, hey, now wait a minute. What are you actually claiming there? Break down words. That thing of in our childhood. Break that down. And I think I'm speaking to the people I need to speak to who listen to our show. That know that not everyone is the same. There is no cure-all. Good night and good luck. I ended on such a... <laughs> what am I, what am I going to do after this? Send all money to Michael Church Ministries. Okay, I'm done. Cold is trapped in a hashtag cult or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show. Go to hashtag cult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story. 